Fanning. Weekends on 2FM. The name Adam McKay is synonymous with some of the biggest TV and films in recent times. From Succession, which he co-produces, to directing Anchorman and The Big Short, McKay seems to have the Midas touch. Well, that winning streak has continued because his new movie, which is a satire on climate change called Don't Look Up, it broke records for Netflix over the festive period, becoming the title that amassed the most hours viewed ever in a single week for the streaming service. The movie is jam-packed with famous actors from Meryl Streep to Leonardo DiCaprio to Jennifer Lawrence to Kate Blanchett and loads more besides too. But does that mean that the message of this star-studded end-of-the-world disaster movie hit home with viewers? Well, before its release, I spoke to director Adam McKay. So here's a clip from the movie featuring some of that stellar cast. You know, Jennifer Lawrence, Leonardo DiCaprio and Meryl Streep. Let's go for it. A comet between 5 to 10 kilometres across that we estimate came from the Oort cloud. And using Gauss's method of orbital determination and the average astrometric uncertainty of 0.04... Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm so what? bored. Just tell us what it is. This, this Seriously, stop. What Dr. Mindy is trying to say wow. is that there's a comet headed directly towards Earth. And then what happens? Like a tidal wave? It will be far more catastrophic. There will, there will be mile-high tsunamis. So how certain is this? There's 100% certainty of impact. Please, don't say 100%. Can we just call it a potentially significant event? But it isn't potentially going to happen. 99.78% to be exact. Oh, great. Okay, so it's not 100%. Um, it call it 70% and let's just, let's move on. But it's not even close to 70%. Let's just use like 60% as a working number. Okay. Hey, Dave. How uh, Adam, how are you? I'm very good indeed. Adam, actually, here's the question. How are you? Because everybody, I mean, no, the thing is that, like, you know, everybody worries about the state of the world. You've come up with this fantastic solution, or sorry, route to at least dealing with it, which is, you know, let's laugh because there isn't much left, is there? Yeah, I just, I mean, God, it has been quite a 10 years that we've been through. And I felt like, you know, there was a lot of different ways to go with this subject, which is, you know, the shifting, careening, uh, snow globe shook nature of, of modern civilization. And how do you deal with that? And I really felt like, man, I want to laugh. I haven't laughed in a long time. And I feel like if you're laughing, you've got some perspective, a little bit of distance. It means it's manageable. So, yeah, it's dark stuff. I mean, the climate crisis, what's happening to democracies around the world. But I thought it was high time we we all could share a good laugh about just how crazy it is. OK, but you've done that before because you, we've had the financial crash, not a laughing matter. Oh, well, hold on, uh, Adam McKay. Yeah, it probably is actually. The big short, brilliant. Vice, I mean, we're talking about here a, a self-aggrandizing criminal who used his knowledge kind of as a Washington insider to subvert just about everything because, I mean, Dick Cheney was not a good person. He was a warmonger. Again, you know, funny, funny, funny. But the last two were satires on what happened. This one hasn't happened yet. It's not, you know, what we're talking about here is an absurd satire. Do you think it's, how can I use two words, depressingly plausible? I mean, the only awkward thing, you've kind of put me in a tough spot. Dick Cheney is here with me right now. <laughs> he's, he's a buddy. Excellent. So, I it's all right, right. Dick. He, he's speaking figuratively. He doesn't mean you. I don't mean um, you. Personally, no. <laughs> um, well, I mean, Dave, you know, the climate crisis is the story of all stories of all stories of all stories. It is the shadow that is, you know, over everything. And one of the great horrors of my life, and I think for a lot of us, has been watching over the last 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 
governments do absolutely nothing and kick uh, kick the can down the road so they can get their you know quick payoffs from their fossil fuel company donors and it's really really getting frightening it's coming much faster than we thought decades ago this is not a problem for our grandkids it's right now and so it, it i mean quite honestly it, it scares it, it scares me to no end i've had sleepless nights about this right. but the good news with it is we do have the science we have renewables we have carbon removal carbon capture we just don't have the awareness and the will so one of the goals of this movie was to let us all laugh like total goofs but also to feel the urgency of the moment too. And, and, you know, you've seen it, that's built into the movie. Um, So that, that was the attempt. I mean, I I just don't know if we've done a very great job of communicating any of this on any level, myself included. And I thought, wow, let's try this approach. Let's try big belly laughs with the, you know, infused blinding (laughs) urgency. Well, you absolutely have. And there's two other bits, too, maybe that fuels you to say, right, this is definitely the next one I'm going to do, part of my freak out trilogy, as you call it. Um, the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, you, you read that and saw how stark it was. Also, there's the book, uh, Deep Survival by Lawrence Gonzalez. Well, the two of them come together and you say, this has got to be my next one. I got to do this. If I'm doing the trilogy, it's climate change. I got to do something. Yeah, that was basically it. I mean, I had had a bunch of different encounters. My sister also lived up in Oregon and they had fires that were so robust up there that she had to evacuate her home because the air quality was borderline, no exaggeration, close to Chernobyl. And so she had to get out of Dodge. And then we had a period in Los Angeles where we couldn't go outside and then you mix that with the IPCC report. I read the book on inhabitable earth. And I've just for the last 10 years been asking a lot of people a lot of questions. It's one of the luxuries you have when you know you have a job like mine. I, I get to goof around and go sideways and call different people. And every answer I kept getting was uh, more and more terrifying and worse than I'd hoped to hear. So uh, I think, you know, it was about three years ago, maybe almost four years ago that I was like, oh, yeah, I have to I have to address this. And in some way, uh, probably uh, everything that I do in the future will always at least be somewhat connected to this subject. I, I think you'll see it worldwide that we're in the new age of the climate. Um, yeah. But I don't What do I know? <laughs> okay, well, look, I'll tell you what I mean. Like, have any directors, famous directors, been ringing you up saying, How the hell did you do that? Or why did you do that? Because you've ruined it for us. I mean, we're talking here about Rob Morgan, <laughs> Timothy Chalamet, Tyler Perry, Mark Rylance, Jonah Hill, Ariana Grande. Oh, yeah, I forgot Meryl Streep and Kate Blanchett. Oh, yeah, I forgot the two leads, Jennifer Blinking, Loris, and Leonardo DiCaprio. How did you manage that? Crazy. <laughs> you know what it really was? It, it was they were all hungry to tackle this subject. All right. And they like the idea that we got to laugh while doing it. I think they'd all been looking for the right project and the idea that we could do a comedy. And yet, you know, it's big laughs, but then it's also other kinds of big feelings. And and they liked that idea that it was different. It wasn't a standard formula uh, that we'd seen. So, yeah. So, yeah, I've had some directors reach out to me. It's always nice when you get that. You get some emails from different directors who've just yeah. watched 
be to more excited. Yeah, exactly. To make them feel jealous. Okay, but like, I mean, the thing about the science that you said is earlier on, the science is there and the scientists are there with it. Okay, well, basically, I'm just saying that the scientists are not equipped to do the job that might need to be done to get their information to the corporations who are ruining the earth and paying lip service to everything. Um, so do you think that they might need to sort of almost hire a PR company? Yeah, I mean, the problem is, I don't know if those big fossil fuel corporations, you you could have uh, the most charming, you could have Brad Pitt show up in a tuxedo and present all the science perfectly to him. I'm not sure they would care. Uh, uh, They just want those quarterly profits. I think a lot of the weight falls on us, the people, and then another good chunk of the weight falls on our elected representatives to have just a shred of courage. And, and draw a line for our, our future and the common good. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, you're right. The scientists aren't meant to be TV show hosts, Yeah. Um, but they've conveyed the information. They've testified in front of uh, leaders of world governments. They just met in Glasgow. Everything was made clear and the final result was hardly anything. So I, I think, you know, the game, I think it's a big mound of dirty money, uh, hackery, greed, careerism. It's the usual suspects that are blocking this. And if we are constantly distracted by low news, if you like, not high news, do you think journalism, I mean, are you attacking journalism here in some ways? Because, you know, journalism used to do something different, I think. It used to be good or whatever. And whether it wants to be good or bad now, prof- profits maximization is what it's all about. You know, every country's different. I, I mean, I got to say it was quite funny to land here in Dublin, turn on the TV, and it's a very different experience than the US. You turn on the TV in the US and you immediately have an orange colored headache. And it's a little more relaxed here. I, I've been, you know, in France, they have some regulations about the media. There's some thoughtfulness going on. Uh, in the US, it's the Wild West. I mean, it's just ratings, clicks, ratings, clicks. So yeah, I'm definitely calling that out. I, I would say Michael Lewis is one of the great writers about broken incentives. And I would say there are some countries when it comes to our news that have uh, broken incentives uh, that we need to get back to the idea that journalism is for the public good. It's for uh, a public economy, not a private economy. Um, and it, it's it's the stakes are quite high. I mean, without that awareness and communication, we're not going to get to the level of action. But um, I don't think I'm giving Ireland quite as much of a hard time <laughs> as I am the US. <laughs> well, what about, Adam, like the most successful, the most brilliant, the most fantastic television series of the last 20 years? No question about it is Succession. It is it has been described as the best sitcom on TV. That's one I'm not getting. What am I missing when I don't necessarily see it as a sitcom? Well, I was surprised you said that show. I thought you were going to say, um, so you want to date my mom? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that's, oh. my, that's my second favorite. Dave, it's so good. You have to check it out. Um, no, that, that's one of those absolute treats that, you, you, you know, as a producer, I'm, I'm just so lucky to get to collaborate with a brilliant writer like Jesse Armstrong. And years back, I read that pilot script and I just right away said, I haven't read anything like this. I would love to direct it, love to produce it. Jesse is just an absolute gentleman, fantastic collaborator. So one of the great creative experiences of my life was we got to put that show together. We got to cast it, set the look, set the music uh, and, and kind of put the show together. 
And then it's just been a joy seeing uh, Jesse in that just fabulous writer's room and yeah. cast just, uh, sail off across the horizon line. Yeah, the cast is absolutely, they really know how to bring those lines across. But do you think in one way I should be getting from it that it's very smart about what it means to have an abusive parent and that judging by the ninth programme in season three, not giving anything away, but nobody can hurt quite like family. Yeah, I, I think that's a pretty good takeaway. I think I, the power of what I loved about the show was that <clears throat> there's a tendency for a lot of people to think, oh, if you know, only I inherited a billion dollars, if only I was in this cloistered elite family. And what you see is it's traumatizing. It's depressing. I don't think I would trade places with any of those characters. Um, and and that's reflected in the reality, whether you're talking about the Redstones or the Maxwells or the Murdochs, it's not exactly the happiest situation. There seems to be acrimony and distance and power struggles there. And I, I think, you know, there's two ends of the wealth disparity in the world. There's the suffering of the people that can't get a living wage and have to struggle to pay their rent. And clearly that's the headline. But there is another side of it, which is this system degrades everyone across the line. And that kind of congealed rotten wealth that hits some of these families. There, there's a great uh, documentary called Born Rich by Jamie Johnson, who's a Johnson and Johnson heir. And the second I read Jesse's script, I brought that documentary up. And what you see is the children of these families, they tend to be depressed, addicted to drugs. They don't have purpose. They're meandering. And uh, I, I just thought Jesse brought all that together beautifully in succession. And most of all, with a sense of humor. Absolutely, 100%. And just finally on that one, just before I get back to one last question about the movie itself. Um, do you think, like, I'm, I know there's a season four. Uh, is it looking too far ahead to say, will there be a season five? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I talked to Jesse about three weeks ago. And uh, he was leaning towards episode one of the next season. Right. The whole family is on a hovercraft. It wrecks <laughs> and they all die. And I said, yes, yeah, yeah, you okay, can't okay. do that. He said, I can do whatever I want. I think he's a little drunk with power. Okay, um, okay. I knew I shouldn't have asked that. Okay, finally, just on the movie itself, don't look up. I mean, you know, if people got what you once said, it's a mad, 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 mad world mixed with a Lars van Trier movie. You're halfway there at least, right? I would love that. Yeah. And, and we've seen some reactions like that from the early theatrical release where people are laughing very hard and then they're emotionally moved. Yeah. And, you know, this movie was built for audiences. Um, and so I couldn't be any more excited for it to come out on uh, December 24th. It's, I think, Netflix, 570 million people yeah. tune into Netflix. It's, it's crazy. Well, thank you very much indeed, Adam, for talking to us and the Freak Out trilogy. I hope it's a quartet. Thank you so much, Adam. <laughs> Dave, absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Dave Fanning, weekend on 2FM.